Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to Pint Glass Preachers. I'm Tom, and with me, as always, are the most amazing podcast friends you could ever have, Josh and Gabe. What do you think of when I, when I say the word craftsmanship or precision? Do you think of a Swiss watch? Perhaps a BMW? Perhaps you think of one of those craftsman-style homes built in the 1940s by your grandpa and nobody else. The point is, is that there are some things that are built to last. They're just supposed to work, but inevitably these things break down. Even the best and most expensive watch can have its case cracked. The precision-tuned engine of an Audi A8 still needs its oil changed. So today, we're going to use this analogy to talk about how we think about God, how he created the earth, and how he interacts with our earth and everything in it moving forward from that point of creation. Let's get started. That actually sounds more like a description of my body. Actually, what I liked most about that, Tom... What, cracked? (laughs) Um... No, the Audi, the fine craftsmanship, all that other kind of stuff, Tom. It's like molding a large piece of clay and, I feel like, and leaving all the lumps. Tom, you got, you got some emotion and inflection in there at one point where it felt I, almost like a, like a junior high play. Like I was, I was at like a mm. theater where a kid's like working on his lines. It was really good. It was really Dude, good. I was yeah. Just, I was just at a junior high play, as a matter of fact, Snow White. And it was pretty awkwardly awesome. So, so are you saying, did I overact? Because that's what I think of when I think of junior high. Players. Yeah, it felt a little that way. Okay, well, I'll really tone it down, completely monotone next week. It'll Thank be, you. it'll be fantastic. It'll be back to normal. That's what it will be. All right, we need to uh, let, let's stop with the junior high plays. Let's move on. Uh, let's talk about what we're drinking. And honestly, before we even get there, uh, last episode we started. Uh, we, we talked about science. And at the very end, we kind of brought out a question about God and his creation and how he interacts with it. And we decided to bring Dr. Brian O'Neill, my brother, back on the show. And so he's joining us right now. We're not even going to bring him in later. Uh, He's on right now. So he gets to be part of this. What are you drinking? Uh, So, Gabe, we'll start with you and go around the horn. All right. Well, with my drink comes an announcement. I don't know when I was going to do this for our friends at Pint Glass Preachers, but uh, I'm on the move uh, back up north from Texas. What? I know. I know. Uh, I'm moving to uh, the great state of Michigan, the Mitten, America's high five. Um, I'm going to be working at... uh, (laughs) I mean, a snow-covered high five. That's why they have to always wear a mitten. Well, that's fine. It's still a high five. Um, uh, But uh, it's better than than being uh, Florida. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> um, so okay, okay. <laughs> Thank you for just eliminating any potential listeners we have. Oh, like we want anyone from Florida? They're all like over ninety. Give okay. me a break! You know what? Wow. And Mickey Mouse. Ooh, we lost him. Okay, I think we're fine. Oh, Disney's a huge corporation. We could really profit from that. Well, I'm sure they're. I'm sure they're listening intently to our podcast. Anyways. Whoa. Just well, trying to make that marketing decision. <laughs> Do we or don't we? 
they, they have been contacting me. They want to start advertising with us, but as always, we're running indie baby. Um, so not selling out never slash no one wants us, but, um, <laughs> what you're drinking. I'm drinking Shiner Bach it is a wonderful Texas beer. It's classic down here. And uh, I'm drinking it as a farewell to this wonderful state that I've been so blessed to live in. That's me. Uh, Josh, Tom, what are you drinking? All right, I'll tell you what I'm drinking. And mine has a little bit of fanfare today. We usually try to keep this short, but since you just went like seven minutes on yours, um, I have Samuel Smith Old Brewery Tadcaster, the celebrated oatmeal stout product of England. I mean, this beer comes with fanfare. And if you read the, uh, the description of it, an opaque, wonderfully silky and smooth textured ale with a complex medium dry palate and bittersweet, bittersweet finish. Okay, oh, so far, Tom, no. You're already drunk. Stop it. Brewed with well water, the original well sunk in 1758 is still in use. Malted barley, roasted barley, oatmeal, yeast, and hops. Fermented in open-topped stone Yorkshire squares. And that's in parentheses. Celebrated oatmeal stout is a style benchmark revived by Samuel Smith's and the inspiration for hundreds of commercial oatmeal stouts. It even has like the gold uh, covering over the, the bottle head. I mean, this is this is fancy beer. We're very proud of you, Tom. Great. And yep. now the episode is over. We've run out of time. Thank you all for listening to Gabe lament his Shinerbach days and Tom do something. I don't even know what that was. Um, giving props to a really fancy English beer. Okay. Josh, what are you drinking? First of all, I hope you can hear that crunching. Can you? Yes. Jenny gave me a snack tonight mm-hmm. to keep to keep that bod that Tom described in the intro in shape. <laughs> <laughs> and by that, it's basically Parmesan cheese melted into thin, crispy wafers. So Ooh. super healthy. Yep. Oh, that sounds disgusting. Why would you ever eat that? Nobody eats that. That's disgusting. Oh, really? Because like all the finest uh, bourgeoisie of, say, France and Italy eat this, not pickle dip. <laughs> we're anyway. Working, we're working anyway. on episode three of pickle dip here. Anyway, in we're just going to keep this thing going. Love it. Uh, in homage to one Dr. Brian O'Neill, I'm taking a trip to Wisconsin. And by taking a trip, I mean drinking beer from Wisconsin. New Glara Spotted Cow has made its return into my giant oversized Southern Yeti. Thank you to Lynn. If you're listening, Lynn, thank you for giving me this beer. Awesome. Uh, she doesn't listen, though, so it's just kind of a pointless shout-out. But maybe one day. Maybe can one we day. talk about the word homage? Can we talk about DBO, Dr. Brian O'Neill? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, are you, what are you drinking tonight, DBO? Well, I am doing an homage to Josh and drinking a beer from California, my hey. favorite beer of all time. Cheers, Brian. Eh, cheers. It's uh, Ballast Points Indra Canindra. It's so good. Mm. It is the darkest beer ever, but it has um, madras curry, cumin, cayenne, coconut, and uh, kefir lime leaves. It's delish. Didn't you have a curry beer last episode? Nope. You didn't ask me what I was drinking last time. Actually, we did, and you weren't drinking anything, and you made it up, and you chose, no. I'm pretty sure, a curry beer. No. <laughs> it yep. sounds to me like a vegan restaurant fell into your beer, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> and from South a East very Asia. cultured vegan restaurant, yeah. not one of those pretentious types. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Southeast Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like it's an like cool. Vegan. Yeah, like it's legit. 
like a yeah. Tibetan monk, vegan, you know, like nirvanic like, experience. It's, it's like a, a real Buddhist as opposed to a Californian Buddhist. Yeah. Oh, totally. Right. Totally. As a matter of fact, if Brian disappears in this episode, it's because he's achieved moksha. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now we've just offended California and Florida. Now Disney for sure won't sponsor oh, us. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, for the rest of you um, who apparently aren't Disney, if you want to follow up with what we've got going on, please be sure to check out our Facebook page. And if you've listened to the last episode, then please, I wish you, I hope you sent us a text because we're trying this out. We've got a phone number. You can text us questions, ideas for future shows. Shoot, even if you just want to complain to Tom because he seems like your dad and that's the right thing to do, you can shoot us a text <laughs> at area code 612-208-6258. So I hope you guys uh, take advantage of that new technology. There's coming up with so many these days. Tom can barely keep up. But You more, have more kids than I do. But more importantly, we would encourage you to check out our ministry partner, The Gospel Economist. Oh, you know, they're an online publication made up of a group of writers and bloggers that seek the story of Jesus Christ and his payment for our sin in our everyday lives. So right up our alley. Anyway, check them out at www.themedium.com slash the-gospel-economist. It's also where our podcast happens to be posted. So that gives you two reasons to check them out. And that's all I got, folks. All right. And by the way, uh, we had some friends tweet us, and by friends, I mean friend on the old Twitter box and uh, it took me a long time to respond, but I did just now. So sorry for the delay, Josh. Thank you for uh, corresponding with me? us. Sorry to me. I didn't tweet no, at you. The Josh I care about. Oh, cause my Twitter got shut down. Good. Oh, we heard about that. Are, do you really want to bring that up on here? <laughs> I don't want to bring it up right here. Okay. And only you heard about it. So we'll keep it between me and you. And all our listeners. Well, they don't really know what happened. <laughs> no. Okay. Sweet. Let's move on. All right, so last week, uh, or last episode, if you listened, uh, we had Dr. Brian O'Neill on, who is a real-life scientist, and we were talking a little bit about aquatic science. Aquatic biologist, please. Oh, sorry, aquatic biologist. There you um, go. Huge nerd. Anyway, uh, he, uh, Josh and I, uh, Gabe, did not uh, I didn't show up. decide to join us that no, day. I don't I know what there. you were doing. He threw a bougie dinner party with all his with all his rich Austinite friends. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. We were we were not invited. I feel like the term bourgeoisie has not been used anywhere near as much in this podcast as it has tonight. <laughs> it's like the third time. Karl Marx is thrilled uh, right now. It's okay. a terribly underutilized term, if you ask me. It is. Let's bring it back. Let's move on. All right, go on uh, with your bourgeoisie comments, Tom. All right, so we were talking about science. We were talking about the church. Uh, do they play nicely together? Do they not? How could they possibly get together? We talked about different scientific things that are happening. We touched on evolution. Uh, and then towards the end of the episode, we we brought up a question about whether, uh, whether when God created this earth, whether he created it so finely and uh, that it can just run on its own and he doesn't have to do anything, he just basically leaves it alone, or is it does he... Is God continually involved to make the earth spin, to make the, the wind blow, to make each and every one of our hearts beat? Is is he involved in that? And so we decided to move that to us. We felt that was a whole entire other episode. So here we are. We brought uh, we brought my brother back. BBO. Dude, why are Thank you, you calling him that? That is so weird. He likes it. He <laughs> smiled the first time I said it. 
it's, yeah, it's well, true. The funny it's thing like is an that's awkward my... grin, like, oh, I don't know this guy, but he keeps calling me by an acronym. I know, but well, I feel a little weird because I've been extra snarky since Brian came on, and I'm not normally this mean, so I'm trying to soften myself by giving him an are. affectionate nickname. Uh, Gabe, I prefer Beofted. <laughs> Beofted. Yep. Yep. Done. PhD. I definitely go by that much more than Dr. Brian. Done. Yes, sir. Yep. Man, he just rubbed his PhD right up in your face. I really liked it. It felt <laughs> good. <laughs> Shame to you. Okay, can we talk about Tom's basketball talk thing? All right. So if we start from the basis that we be, that we believe that God created the heavens and the earth, uh, we're not going to get into. Uh, we could have a discussion about whether you know how long it took uh, for God to create the earth. We could talk about evolution. We could talk about all these different things that kind of go with that. But we're not. We're just going to start with God created the heavens and the earth, and now we're to this point. So the question is, there's kind of two metaphors that we can look at. We can look at, uh, did God create this, this earth like a fine Swiss watch? That it all these little pieces put together, carefully put together by a master craftsman, and that it is, it is made in such a way that a Swiss watch is supposed to run forever. Short of being run over by a tank, it should run forever and it should run perfectly and always keep time. Is that how God created this earth and all that is all that is in it, or is it like uh, seeing a basketball player spin a basketball on their finger, where you, you got to keep hitting it with your hand to keep it spinning? You got to keep uh, you got to keep involved with it. You got to keep working at it. Is that how God works with our earth now? That He's constantly involved, or is it somewhere in the middle? So those are the two metaphors. And that's the question we're asking tonight is how, how does God interact with, with this earth, with all that is in it? We're going to get into that as soon as we, uh, as soon as we come back from break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. While I'm super excited to get into this conversation of whether some Swiss watch runs our earth or a basketball is just spinning and spinning and spinning, also known as the third rock from the sun, during the break, I had a lot of time to think, and by a lot of time, I mean less than three minutes, and I decided we're missing an analogy. If you're a flat earth proponent like I am, then a Frisbee <laughs> needs to be added on the list. If we have a watch and a basketball, then... Our flat earth is like a Frisbee that God just hurled into the ethos <laughs> and is floating through galaxy after galaxy, traveling to only he knows where. No, but to, complete, to complete that analogy, a complete moron is catching the Frisbee. <laughs> Dude. So you're calling God a moron, Tom? No, God threw it, but then a moron caught it because anybody you know who believes in God... flat earth... Fine, it's a boomerang. God threw a flat boomerang and it's going to return to him one day. Wait, it's a boomerang made by the company Frisbee that is. Yeah. yeah, it is. Okay, so speaking of crazy, weird Christian thoughts on the earth and Tom's basketball watch clock analogies. Um, and Frisbee. 
and, oh, and sorry, I'm sorry. And Josh's frisbee analogy, <laughs> frisbee boomerang, frisbee frisbee rang, uh, flight wheel. Um, I uh, so I heard I was listening to another podcast and they like played a clip of a preacher in the great city of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, from Venue Church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, uh, see, always with the names, I always try to like play it cool so we don't have no, to. Everyone in town knows they are crazy. Oh, how many people in Chattanooga listen to our podcast? Well, I mean, none, but everyone okay. knows they're crazy. Okay. Well, anyways, so this, this dude, this preacher, like he's given this sermon and he's like, and the reason we have different time zones on the earth is because someone always needs to be up and praying to God. And that's why we're still alive. That's how come life keeps existing because someone's always up and always praying. And that's why he created time zones. Where did you hear this? Cause I feel like you've shared this before. I probably have. Because I remember I was going on some massive tangent about venue church where I was like, yeah. And one time he was saying that like when he preaches, even the angels stop to listen. Uh-huh. That's right. So we actually had this entire conversation before on this podcast. I'm, I'm almost positive. Oh, we're getting worse. So, wow. So this church is more, haha funny crazy whereas like westminster baptist or whatever in topeka is westboro westboro is you know super hateful please get out of our country crazy yep yep okay good 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 okay so that's my anecdote dr brian terrible i'm gonna edit that out (laughs) dr brian (laughs) is it a basketball or is it a watch Go. Or Frisbee. Or Frisbee. Or Frisbee. Sorry. Or Frisbee. <laughs> Definitely not a Frisbee. Okay. Oh, oh man. man. You, you have on. seen, like, pictures of the Earth, right? Oh. Uh, yeah, and it's always one-dimensional. It's oh, flat. Right, right. And how do I know those aren't doctored and fake? Right. Yeah, exactly. Josh is one of those that we didn't go to the moon kind of uh, people. Yeah. There is the, no moon. I saw the flag. There is flag no moon. Wind. There's no atmosphere. Anyway, haven't you seen that show Timeless? You can just travel back in time and change history. Okay, anyways, Brian. Yeah, no, no, I definitely am the Swiss watch kind of guy. I think from a scientific perspective, it like the continual maintenance analogy just doesn't make sense. Um, And I mean, even from a... Doesn't make sense to me because it really is, um, you know, we can see our earth, our universe continually running and working, and we see patterns and processes that are working in, in that universe. And I mean, if we're in a way where God is continually interrupting that, um, not that God isn't powerful enough to interrupt that, but, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to observe things in the universe the way they are yeah you're saying because we would only be observing the way that god is interacting with the things in our universe yeah and i think i mean i think if it just wouldn't make sense if well what if in that time zone someone forgot to pray that that day right like right you know like what happens then is it you know does the world stop nope nope it doesn't yeah Hey, is it is it too early to throw just a giant wrench into the clock and to knock the spinning basketball off of Tom's finger? Depends on where you're going with it. Well, I guess I I mean, I, I hate to cut right to the chase because we could just spend a whole lot of time describing both of these analogies, but 
at least from an Orthodox Christian perspective, not to argue for or against either analogy, but I think the fundamental uh, chink in the armor or fundamental like, you know, weakness I, th- I see in both of them is neither leaves room or or accommodates the necessity of the incarnation. Because if it is a Swiss watch that is just, you know, masterfully put together and set on its way. And if it did get broken, like you said in, in the intro, Tom, um, well, there's no, it, you don't just like pull apart a watch and add more pieces. If it's been perfectly crafted to run forever and a basketball, you're not just going to like pull it off of some dude's finger, push pause, input something else into the spin or write your name on it or whatever, and then put it back on the finger and spin. Cause just like Brian just said, the earth just doesn't stop doing what it's doing for any period of time. And so if, if we believe that the incarnation is as central to the creation story, um, as Orthodox Christianity has, has tended to do, neither of those. In what sense is the incarnation central to the creation story? Okay. Uh, God created everything that was good, then we screwed it up and it was bad. So then yeah. from that moment forward, the incarnation was necessary and integral to the entire st- rest of creation. Okay. I also, just want to clarify because it's not like the in sec- the creation narrative. It's in well, also the, the second story. Person, also the second person of the, uh, of the Trinity, Jesus. All things were created through in and through him. The Logos. Yeah. Yeah. So he actually is central to creation. Yeah, I agree. I just want our friendly listeners to be tracking. So, so just so just to kind of back up here, I mean, I think the analogy of the watch is that that God did create this earth perfectly to work perfectly to be the best timepiece ever. But then sin came into the world and immediately cracked the casing, you know, screwed something up. It doesn't keep perfect time anymore. This is not a perfect watch anymore, right? I mean... Can, can yep. we agree on that? Yes, sure. That makes that makes sense as far as it goes. But th- well, so then, the... see, I I disagree with that a little bit. What? That That's... that yes, there are sin caused a change in the world, right? But it didn't affect the laws of physics, right? Like the way gravity works is the same as how it worked pre-fall. Right. Sure. So, I mean, and, and, and so I think we're, we're, we're talking about two different things in my opinion. No, but, like, but, but we're talking about like in, in what, what is it? Is, is it in Genesis three where, where God is meeting out punishment and it, he tells Adam, yeah, you're going to have to work now for things to grow. Like they're not just going to spring up like they did here for the last, however long. Well, there's so, actually so you're talking. Go on, Brian. You're talking about what's happening on planet Earth, which has nothing to do with a galaxy far, far a away. billion light years away. <laughs> right? well, okay, so, th- so there's a great question. Did our fall into sin only affect this Earth, or did it affect all creation? Well, let's go. It for sure affected all of creation. Well, so that would be galaxy, universe, yeah, everything. For sure. Yeah, well, which I think, at least for me, fundamentally is... Brian, you you sound like uh, a true optimistic scientist that things would just continue as they were or to like get better as we make more discoveries, you know, sort of what we touched on last time, that there's so many untapped 
you know, this this untapped wealth and reservoir of knowledge and experience and hypotheses and confirmation of those and all that kind of stuff to be seen. But I think where I agree that, yeah, I don't think the fall affected the laws of physics, but I would say that the pre-fall creation was set up to run perfectly forever, never deteriorating. Sure creation then took a turn for the worse and has been slowly dying and by creation i mean the entirety of the cosmos which is why there's then a need for a new heaven and a new earth or a new universal creation so i think there although the laws of physics weren't fundamentally affected by the fall i do think that the cosmos were fundamentally affected to the point where they are not expanding with life but rather dying well okay so I, I, I'm just going to challenge just purely to just question here. If first of all, to say that, well, the laws of physics weren't changed by creation or the fall into sin. How do we know that? I mean, how do we know? And then are we going to stop just at physics? What about chemistry? What about bi biology? Libido. Were things changed there? I mean, are we drawing a hard line at physics? So here's what I would say, man. I, I think, I'm 100% with Brian in terms of like, because we're forgetting something here. Let's go pre-fall. God creates the world and he creates it good, which which means there's order to it. And that's really clear in the first part of the creation narrative, mm -hmm. that, that there's order to this world, that there's laws and rules that govern this world, laws of physics. and that's, So gravity has existed from whenever God created uh, creation, the cosmos. So, so these laws that govern the universe have been there. Now, to me, in the sense that had we not fallen into sin, those laws would still be here, would be unchanged, and there'd be no consequences of those laws. But now that we've fallen into sin, those laws remain the same, but guess what? Volcanoes erupt and kill people. Uh, you know, perhaps volcanoes still would have erupted, but it wouldn't have killed anyone. Like, so when we had kids pre-fall and our kids were to fall on their bottoms because of gravity, yeah. and they would... So you're saying that they wouldn't hurt their bottoms? No, actually, I think they probably would have. Uh, you know, oh, man, because I think I had I had a prof talk to me about this once where he's like, I'm pretty sure in the, the new heavens and the new earth that we're going to, like, stub our toes and stuff. Um, but but that, so, I guess. But, but where do you draw the line? To like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, volcanoes wouldn't kill people because there would be no death. But yet there it also says, at least in the revelation for the new creation, says there won't be any more tears or crying or pain or suffering. And I'm pretty sure that when your kid falls on its on his or her bottom, just like mine, or they stub their toe, there's pain involved. There are tears that are shed. There's, it, yes. So I'm not sure I can understand how it works in the eschaton, okay? But I guess what I'm saying is this, though. If we're physical beings, inherently, you know, my physical body crashing into another physical body will happen in the eschaton. So what, what the pain is and all that, I'm not exactly sure. But at the same time, I would say as part of God's good creation, we had nerve endings. Like, like pain exists because it tells us that something's not right. It tells us that, that you shouldn't have your hand on the stove because it's hot. You know, and so it's not like we're not going to have nerve endings. And, and it's not like we, you know, if, if, if we go with our narrative of, of a pre-fall creation, we certainly had nerve endings. That's how we knew that fruit tasted good and, and sex was good. You know, like, like it, it, it's 
part of the laws that God's built into us. Um, you know, to what degree that pain is as painful as it is now, to what degree that affects us in Eskaton, I don't know. But, but I think because we're physical beings, we can't deny that that's been a part of creation from the get-go. Brian, does the ceaseless conjecture of theologians just drive you and your scientific brain? <laughs> um, I mean, no, because I think, you know, oh boy. I, I, I have <laughs> what I call strokey beard meetings where I sit with my head at an upward angle and stroke my beard and think about things, mm. which is, you know. Bet you those are a hoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We a bunch would, of aquatic would, biologists sitting in a lake somewhere, stroking their beards, <laughs> thinking the about the bugs. Yes, stroking the egos, definitely. I mean, I don't know, Brian. What do so, you think? So I, you know, like this whole idea of this pain and suffering thing. I mean, I think you can have pain without suffering. Like it's not. Like, yes. Yeah. Like pain isn't a bad thing, right? Like it's a biological necessity <coughs> that it's a biological necessity that we need to have to tell us when something is wrong. So, you know, like, sure. But, maybe things so won't necessarily go wrong. That, that statement way. right there is that something is wrong in, in, in pre-fall creation, things were not wrong. So, yeah, I mean, but I I don't buy Gabe's argument that volcanoes pre-fall wouldn't have hurt, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, like, lava is molten lava. Right. And it will burn human flesh and destroy us, no matter what. Well, I, well let me – hold on. Let me I, ask I Brian, getting, let me ask Brian I think a, a very getting... specific question, Tom, a very specific question real quick. Being an aquatic biologist – you see the interrelationship within the aquatic ecosystem, right? About like which bugs get eaten by what sure. amphibians and what flowers and plants have to like die or live to create the ecosystem, right? Okay. So we look at a pre-fall narrative and it says, you know, everything was created good, right? There was no death or anything like that. And yet, ten because Adam and Eve were, you know, in need of sustenance and that meant food. Okay. Right. And then we get this metaphoric picture that in the Eschaton, the lion will lay down with the lamb, meaning that that ecological, you know, like a system of predator and prey somehow won't exist. But as an aquatic biologist, pre-fall, you would, and I'm not saying I disagree with this, but you would have to say that, like, there were still going to be bugs that would get eaten and amphibians that would, you know, like, pee and kill plants in marshlands and ponds, right? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I definitely think so. And I think, I don't know, for me, I don't think the language is necessary specific enough to say that there was no biological death across the planet no because and i i agree with that because god created the earth to again going back to our watch analogy he created it to work and part of that part of that working is that animals have to eat 
animals. We need to eat animals. We need to eat plants, you know, whatever. There needs to be volcanoes because that's just basically the earth farting, right? And so, or, I mean, this is how the earth works. This is, this is what needs to happen. And so that all works within it, but then you come to the was there death and things like that. But I think we're kind of getting off the point of the question isn't what happened before it's now moving forward is God created the earth. Perfect. It, it was broken in some way, earth universe, whatever we, we can continue to argue that, but I think we can argue that at least this earth was broken in some way, shape or form. And so now moving forward, does God got to keep the basketball spinning here or do, do we keep working with a broken watch? I mean, I have a watch that works perfectly, keeps perfect time, except for the date never works. I don't know why that little gear is broken, you know, but it keeps perfect time. So, um, Tom, I had a, uh, we had a discussion earlier looking at um, talking about does God make your heart beat? And you were saying, like, does he have his hand around our heart just making it beat every single beat, right? right. And um, and I, I said no to that. I said I don't think that's the case because I think it's God right. set up our hearts to beat, it set up a biological system for our hearts to beat, and then we are living that out and that biological process is working. Because I think when you go from there – you get into some really tricky, um, tricky areas. Like, yeah, where does keep going. That stop. Yeah, go go to where you went with the neurons. I, I thought that was right. really interesting. So yeah, so we were talking about that, and they're saying that okay, if God is making a heartbeat, what what's happening is then He is zapping the, a little bit of electricity. Well, no, before you get there, heart. the premise is. The premise is that if God is making a heartbeat, then He is responsible for every last thing that happens on this earth, right? Right, right. Okay, so, so, that, so now go. So, so if he's zapping our heart, our, our neurons for a heart, the little electricity between our heart, he's zapping the neurons for a little electricity before between our brains, and he's making every decision for us then. And so then he's making me have that lustful thought? Right. He's making me give a dishonest answer somewhere else? Okay, am I, am I unmuted now? Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. Now that I know how to work my microphone. Listen, here's the thing. <laughs> the problem with any analogy is it's it's never going to be perfect. Right. It's right. going to break down. It's going to break down. And so I think, honestly, it has to be a combination of the two. Because in one sense, there's just no, you know, to Brian's original point, there's no denying the consistency in the in the universe. There's no denying the fact that gravity works the same way all the time. Like it just does. That's just what happens. Um, and, and so we, we can't deny that God, uh, you know, set up a clock to a certain degree. And yet there's no denying that scripture is really clear that number one, God is absolutely sovereign. And that number two, um, that it's meaning he controls everything. And that number two, Colossians one, uh, that, that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God and all things were made through him and all things are made for him and all things are held together by him and sustained by him. And so in a sense, yes, God is spinning the basketball. He just spins it the exact perfect way all the time. 
Okay. But, so, so then I go to um, when the classic question of then why does God let bad things happen? Like if God spun it the exact perfect way, the exact perfect way was for 9-11 to happen, was for London to happen this morning. Oh, Tom, you're such an extremist. I'm just... No, but I don't think it's a question of theodicy. I think we can, to, to bring it back into the realm of biology, I think to to pick up on where Gabe was saying, let's let's take the via negativa for just a bit. Yeah. <clears throat> and forget about... Which is the, what? For all of us who haven't been to... Oh, who haven't been classically theological trained? Yeah. Uh, the via negativa is to look at the things that simply, like, the the negatives or the things that, like, aren't there. Okay. Yes, the way of negativity. And what we're trying to... Yeah, well, kind of. I'm a, I'm a cynic. What can I say? Hmm. But instead of trying to argue the things that are observable and that we can see and whether or not God sustains them, what about the things that, that as... Um, impossible uh and i think of say um particularly with with christ um you know the accounts of lazarus or making blind people see again or walking on water walking on water turning water into wine you know phenomena that are impossible either by laws of physics or by biological you know rules and laws and that kind of things and realities i should say so like what about those situations that we simply can't prove they ultimately undermine the analogies that we're using? You know what I mean? So well, I could so, sit here and try and prove till I'm blue in the face that, that God actually controls every single firing of a, you know, of a neuron in your brain. But what I can't explain, if I believe it to be true, how does he defy these very laws that were created in and through him? I think it's that... Because he can't... He God... can cre- we we have scriptural evidence of him, uh, of him going against natural law. I mean his his no, but that's resurrection what I'm so, so goes against science, natural law. Yeah, that's what, well. That's exactly the point that I'm making. But I, what I want to know is that from like from a scientific perspective, these are defying the very not even theories. Um, you know the uh, what do you call it, Brian when you've like actually tested your hypothesis and it turns out the same every single time? Scientific method oh, and stuff law. Yes, laws. So what about the thing? <laughs> it's a big word. It's a big yep. word. Three letters are really tough for me. Brian, I, 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 what about these laws that seem to be defied or broken or undermined or, or whatever the scientific term is for like – Okay, so just because, just because God set something up to run the right way and it runs that way, that doesn't mean God can't nudge it or make it go a different way right so god does things and has the ability the power to act on the world and change things as he sees fit but that doesn't mean in my in my opinion that doesn't mean he changes the whole system gravity still works the same way it's just that now jesus is living again as opposed to being dead like but that doesn't so but I want to resurrection fundamentally change that if 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 coming back from the dead, which is impossible, actually happens, then it does sort of fundamentally change those laws that exist. No, it doesn't. 
doesn't. Sure, but for one yes, it does. Spot that yeah, for one dude, yeah, Lazarus, all those who were raised at when Christ died, you know, and they came out from their tombs, yeah. like for for those individuals. But as a general rule of the universe and how it's governed and how things work, like it doesn't change that, right? Okay, like not every dead person rises to life now. They will. Well, yes, but not now. That's why I said now. So, Gabe, you brought up something, and this kind of piggybacks off what Brian was talking about, that we have these laws and that God can come and change those, nudge them, I think you said, Brian, um, that he does interact in this world. Now, you talked about, did you say Colossians, where... Yeah, Colossians 1. God, God sustains... Such a good letter, by the way. I, I think about, like, what does that word sustain mean? Because I think when you were talking about it, it, it kind of no pun intended here with the conversation, but it kind of spun it in a way that that sounded like God is doing everything, pumping the heart and all this. But I think of sustaining could be in a different way. Like uh, I, I'm the majority breadwinner in my family. I sustain my family by, by making a majority of the money. But uh, Jen makes the majority of the meals. She buys the majority of the groceries. So I sustain by providing right. food, but she does other parts of sustaining by doing that. And for those of you who are listening who disagree with the setup of our family, sorry. That's how it works. <laughs> Patriarchy. Yeah, because I made I made my wife work that way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, so, but no, I mean, so so in that term, I'm sustaining. I set something. I, I, yep. We set up a system that works where I don't have to do every last thing to feed my children. Yeah. So I do one part. So what you're tapping into, at least theologically is, is what we'd call uh, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Okay. okay. So um, those words are too uh, big for me. Sorry. Okay. So divine sovereignty, God is in control of all things. Oh. Human responsibility. Humans are responsible. And so it's actually a tension that we just sit in where we mm -hmm. say, God says he's in control of all things, and yet he's not responsible for our sin. That's on us. Yep. He's not responsible for um, our daily duties and, and what's required of us and, and our responsibilities as human beings. That's on us. And yet he's in control of all things. Uh, the crux tailagorum. Yeah. I mean, it ultimately leads yeah. to the crux tailagorum, but it's, it's like a, a precursor to it. Tune in next week, everybody, when we do the entire episode in Latin. Um, <laughs> oh, Tom! Did you imagine, like that's that's kind of what what Scripture says is it's 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 like God is in control of all things. You are responsible for what you're told to do. And and I think period. that's you know that that's where we, I, and and I and I think that's where I mean that's where I land all the time too. But then I, it, it comes back to this nitty gritty question, which I think at the end of this conversation, we're going to say it's really not central to our salvation, but you know, that's why we're having these conversations. I mean, we could have one podcast and just tell you, believe in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross rose again. Right. Well, and it, I, we're done. And, but, and I think, right. And I get your point. And actually, yeah. And I think that's, what's tricky is that like, I a little bit, how do I put this? Like, yeah, this doesn't bother me one way or another. Uh, because I'm just kind of like, well, it's divine sovereignty, human responsibility, period. But there are people who are perhaps more scientifically minded than I am, where just sitting in that logic and sitting in that tension 
is too uncomfortable. And that's why it's good we, we explore these things. So I don't know. Well, right, because we want to know. I mean, it, again, I'm going to go to the extreme again. But when something bad does happen, then we want to know, is God really in control? Is he really sustaining when bad things happen? And that's the extreme. Or we go back to the very tiny example of if God is sustaining and doing everything and in control of everything, then why is he letting me have this thought or do this thing that's really not right? You, you know, know is, is the temptations of Jesus applicable at all in this? And it just dawned on me. So one of the temptations, Jesus, when he first comes on the scene, about to begin his public ministry, uh, the Holy Spirit leads him out to the desert. He fasts for 40 days, 40 nights. And then he is confronted by Satan. The devil. Yes. Man. <laughs> Peter Black. Remember that song? Oh, where you, so hear, where you hear the voice of the devil himself. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> not, not Mick Jagger. The other one. Black Dahlia murdered. But anyway. Um, it's so and it kind of harkens back to, to the moment of the fall. And you've got Satan and he's saying... He, he takes Jesus uh, up onto the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, hey, just jump off because Scripture says the angels will attend to you, and you won't basically fall to your death. And what Jesus does on, on one hand that, that I've never thought of before is he tells Satan, I'm not going to tempt gravity. Yeah. I mean, is that fair to, to, to tie this back into science and say – that yes, it's an issue of control and trust and faith and all these other kinds of things that Jesus shows that he can uh, perf handle in a perfect way for us. But on the other hand, at least put into our conversation, it appears that he's saying, Satan, if I were to do that, then I'm defying the gravity that my father created through me by not falling to my death and being smashed on these rocks. You're assuming angels don't have jetpacks. Ooh, dang it. So you're, you got me again, Brian. You're you assuming that... God's power can't work within the realm of physics, right? So, um, like, no, I'm saying uh, it can, but the, right. The... So, so my my grandpa always gave this really cool idea of like when Jesus comes to visit the um, the disciples post resurrection, right? And he just like appears in the room, right? So my grandpa is like, well, how did he get through that door? The door was locked. And my grandpa was talking, you know, like an atom is mostly empty space. Maybe he just, you know, it's like 99.9999% empty space. Maybe he just lined up his atoms that the empty spaces lined up together and he just walked through the door that way. Like, that is that possible, actually? Uh, uh, yeah. I just saw Chris Angel do it on YouTube, okay? <laughs> <laughs> his last name is Angel. It could be. Um, I. But God can just I mean, appear in a room. He can do that, right? But, but right, yeah. So, so there's two issues here. God can work. Do, God can do miraculous things through using the laws of physics, but just without even subverting them all. Or God does have the power to completely suspend the laws of physics and do something that He wants and that He sees fit. Theological objections? Well, no, I agree 100%. What, yeah. what this is making me think of actually is, is what, uh, theologically speaking, we call the ministerial use of reason and the magisterial use of oh, reason. Oh, boy. Here we go. Latin Should again. Should I do it? I don't, it's not Latin. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. So, a ministerial use of reason 
is just not being an idiot and uh, using reason, minister being, meaning the word servant, right? Uh, uh, so reason being in service to faith. Magisterial use of reason is that faith has to justify itself um, to reason, that it's it's the majesty, right? It's in charge. And so, so faith always has to justify itself to reason. And so, and again, this is maybe why it comes back to me not caring. So in terms of a ministerial use of reason, if we go back to Josh's example of, of Jesus, you know, Satan being like, hey, throw yourself down. And Jesus being like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to test God because he designed gravity. Right. Um, like that's Jesus just saying, like, let's don't be an idiot. Like recognize the world for what it is. Like use your head. I mean, Jesus talks about this all the time. Be wise as serpents, be innocent as doves. Like, like be a smart person. Don't be dumb. Follow the, the rules of the created order that, that God's given you. Um, and yet, uh, in a ministerial use of reason, we recognize that there's moments where God is going to supersede that. And we're not just going to sit here and say, well, that didn't fit the laws that I liked. And so it doesn't exist. It's like saying, well, no, it, it's it's subservient, but it's it's, it's reason is, is in service to faith, but it never trumps it. Sure. And this is where we see multiple, multiple times in Scripture where God supersedes that, right? Right. Okay. But God so is the what, only one who supersedes it. It's never human. So I guess if we get all the way back to our watch and basketball analogies, if the basketball starts to lose its velocity and is no longer able to maintain its spin or it gets off of its axis and is wobbling around on the finger or the clock is broken in some way, fashion, shape, or form, we as humans cannot interfere in either a positive or a negative way because we are simply completely outside of the control. Brian, your smart finger is up. <laughs> so tell me to that. I asked the question, what's the point of prayer then? Right? So we can pray for things. If I see a tornado coming down on me, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to get down on my knees and pray like, Hey, can we stop this tornado, please? That'd be great. Um, so, so I'm asking God to then subvert, like, yes, it's not me, but I'm asking for it. I'm not doing it, but I am asking for it. Sure. And you know what? God still might allow that or that tornado still might crash through your home and suck you up and throw you miles away. Right. And, and to me, that's not God, not, not able not to God do it. killing me. Right. And that's not God, not able to do it. It's just God set up the system and well, that's fine. But then, you know, I'll be fine too. Not sure. But you couldn't, but you couldn't, what I was saying is you couldn't yourself stop the tornado in any way, shape or form. I mean, no, you're not Bill Paxton. Oh, just about to make that reference. Yes, I beat you to it. You know what I mean? Like that's what I'm saying. Like if 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 we land on one of these analogies, then the only logical move we can make is that we still are in a position of no control. Like we, we can't make the clock work better or work again, or we can't fix the clock. We can't be the ones to, you know, be spinning our hands on the ball to help no, it keep going. I think I think our concept of sin will say that the only thing we can do is screw that up. Yeah, we but at the very beginning worse. we said that we did screw it up, but nope. it's not like unless we all even if we all decided to fire off cold war nukes at each other, 
would we be able to utterly destroy the laws of physics? Like, no, because there would be some other galaxy or planet that would continue to exist even if we blow up this rock. Right, but we but we can certainly impact this this piece of creation here in a negative way, but you're absolutely right. We cannot fix it. We cannot go back and put this watch together to be working perfectly again. Hence the necessity of the incarnation. Right. Absolutely. It brings sure. it back. To, it brings it back to Christ, brings it back to the fact that the only way this does get fixed is through Christ's death and resurrection. Hashtag gospel. Hashtag gospel. On that note, we're going to take a break. <laughs> We're going to come back because I believe we have part three of this series. We're on series now. This is what we do. I, I believe we have is part it? three, and we're going to tell you what that is when we come back from break. Welcome back, everybody. Um, the The guys have decided that since I am the first, I think first, doubleheader guest, they would let me bring you back in from break. Anyway, um, I think actually in today's episode, we did a really good job, probably better than other episodes, probably because of my involvement. You know, maybe not. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, that we came to actually good resolution that we know in our universe that God is in control. And um, while he maybe doesn't necessarily subvert that, the, the laws of physics and change everything, he can if he wants to. But um, one thing that we didn't get to answer was that question we brought up thinking about, does God control everything okay so is he firing every neuron in our brains and we'll kind of in the next episode well we probably not me anyway the, the other guys will be looking oh at, look at that self-deprecating humor in, mm-hmm, yeah he's really inviting How, himself back they'll be looking at that question well one final question that we must answer before this episode ends do you land on we're taking a vote all you get is one word watch or basketball brian watch not frisbee gabe frisbee rang no you guys this wasn't supposed to happen because you were supposed to give real answers and then when it came full circle to me i was going to be the one to say frisbee (laughs) rang you messed it up and you know what just for that i'm ending this Last call. All right, we got some shout-outs today. If you live in the Chattanooga area, check out the now? greatest church there, Venue Church. They will teach you about <laughs> <laughs> uh, No, it's, it's Bridge City Community in Alton Park. Son of a gun. It's super dope uh, with my boy Josh, Twitter famous. Uh, and then uh, if you are hungry and in the great state of Minnesota, find my friend Tom O'Neill. Uh, and he will give you food at Second Harvest, Minnesota's largest food bank, second largest food bank in the nation. Wait, do you give fresh food or like day old stuff? No, we have 55% of our food is fresh, meaning dairy, meat, 
produce and baked goods. It's true. Wow. And if you live in the Austin area, you can go to Axe Church Leander. It's great. If you live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, go to University Lutheran Chapel on the campus of the University of Michigan. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's already great, but it's going to be greater. And if you are looking for a great education, go to wherever Brian teaches. <laughs> <laughs> or go get in a boat and fish for some carp or something. Wait, Brian, you should probably, you, yeah, you you should probably go to UW-Whitewater if you want a great education. Can I give myself a shout out? Yes. All right. We, we do it all the time. If you're listening to this podcast, like mid-2018, you should go to a game store and buy the game called Aquatic Evolution. And you will see that it is designed by yours truly and my friend Nick Bentley. What? Wait, there's a real like board game coming out called Aquatic Evolution. <laughs> I I hope not. The I hope the name is changed to Evolution Oceans, but that's not up to me. That's up to the game publisher. That's amazing. The, the, but this is really so, happening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's happening. It, it's one of those games, Josh, that's in the same genre as like Settlers of Catan and uh, you know, all those. I love those you games. Know, yeah. All of those, it's it. What's the one that we played, Ryan? Carcassonne. No, no, the the evolution game. Evolution. Oh, it's just called evolution. There you go. Yeah. Wait, so, so they're they're making an aquatic. They're making an aquatic uh, version of it. That's pretty dope. Okay. Yeah. Hey. Super dope. Check us out on social media. Uh, we will respond in a timely fashion. Uh, so on Twitter, pint glass preach. Our website, medium.com slash the gospel economist. And then you can find us in there. Uh, Facebook, Instagram. Don't uh, forget the phone number. Phone number. Again, you can text Tom at 612-208-6258. Shoot Tom a text. He has no friends. 612-208-6258. Thanks for joining us today, friends. We love you all. Brian, thanks for being with us today, brother. Thanks. I, I, I have friends. Bye. No, no. Goodbye.